Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Control is the first international treaty negotiated under the auspices of WHO. It was adopted by the World Health Assembly in 2003, and since it entered into force in 2005, it has implacably opposed nearly all safer nicotine products on the market, with the exception of nicotine patches and gum. Coming up later this year in Panama is the COP10, the 10th session of the Conference of the Parties to the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. What will be discussed? Will vaping advocates be in attendance? When will this international event be held? These are all good questions. Joining us today for a special COP Watch edition of RegWatch is Martin Cullop, International Fellow at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance and prolific writer on harm reduction policy issues for major publications such as Inside Sources, Center Square, Town Hall, and Filter. Martin, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. So why is there so much secrecy around COP10? Uh, it's, a, it's a strange one, isn't it? You, you know, uh, for people who, who, who don't know what COP10 is, it's, it's um, a conference of um, 168 or 182 uh, countries, depending on how you, 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 uh, you count them. 168 have ratified the treaty, 182 are members of WHO, but, but have not yet ratified the treaty. Um, but they they meet and it and it, the important thing to say about these meetings is the decisions are made by the countries, not by the World Health Organization. The countries make the meetings. The delegations of these countries make the meetings. Now everyone seems to know about the climate climate change conference of the parties. They're called COP meetings as well. I think the most recent one was COP twenty six. I think it was in Glasgow or something. And there's massive media attention to the climate change conference of the parties. And yet there's very little about um, COP10. There's not very little about any of the uh, uh, FCTC um, conference of party meetings, even though arguably uh, they, they, um, they deal with probably a, a more damaging issue for what, one eighth of the population in the world. You know, I think it's 1.3 billion people are using combustible tobacco products or harmful tobacco products. And yet there's nothing around this at all. Um, why is there the secrecy? I think some of it is intentional. I don't think uh, the FCTC Secretariat wants people to know too much about it, and it it, it deliberately keeps people in the dark about what's going on. So, um, yeah, it would be great if there was more public publicity about this, but you very rarely see see media attention to it. So this is actually the main regulation, is it not, that pretty much affects vaping in every aspect. So if you've got uh, advocates for vaping that can't get audience with, say, their local government, it could very well be because that country has signed on to this framework. Well, yeah, that, that is sometimes, um, there's, there's one of the articles, Article 5.3, which um, is it's ostensibly to stop the industry tobacco industry from influence public policy in in all the countries that have signed the treaty um what that really should mean is that it just means that they that the the governments or the the authorities have to be transparent and if they do meet someone from industry or someone who has a conflict they should make it clear 
and they should you know make clear that conflict and publish it so so that everyone knows that, that they've been speaking to these people but this has been misapplied so often over the years as to saying that they just cannot speak to you and that's not the case that's that's not the case in this treaty that you know they can speak to you but as as you rightly say this has been widened um to some people just using it as an excuse to say i can't talk to you why well because um you know you're not industry but you are saying something that industry might say and and, and you know the who's fctc sector likes that because they don't want to have a debate over these things they don't want people like me coming and talking to to uh regulators or policy makers so they're quite happy to let people misapply article 5.3 so we have all over the world this situation where um there's not an open discussion going on it's like almost a, an implied censorship that, that is being used when it comes up to these meetings. And it's very damaging because the right conversations are not being had. So, I mean, there's participating in a, in, you know, a COP where, you know, you're a member of a government delegation and you've got, you know, interaction in a bunch of panels and all this kind of stuff. But normally these kinds of things that you see with climate change, with the climate COP, there's... A, thousands and thousands of people who are advocates for clean energy and this and that, that are not directly connected to a government at all, but they're NGOs and this and that. And they're all at this conference at this, you know, at a climate change COP. So are tobacco harm reductionists, you know, advocates are members of, you know, the, you know, the large organizations uh, that advocate on behalf of safer nicotine products. Are they invited? To COP10, are they going to be able to attend? <laughs> no. <laughs> the short answer, no. Um, yeah, you're right about the climate cops. Is everyone's involved. You know, oil industry turn up um, to talk about how they can transform their business to, to be more green and to, you know, to be more environmentally friend friendly with, you know, solar panels. BP, make, BP makes solar panels, for example, and, and you know, electric cars and, and all this, they're involved in the conversation because everyone is moving towards a, a stated goal and they all want to get to that position. So everyone is involved in the conversation. You can turn up as an individual, you can just apply, uh, apply to, to, to go to a climate COP. With the, the Tobacco Control COP, the, the Framework Convention, the Tobacco Control Conference of Parties, um, they exclude just about everyone. Industry is not allowed to come. Um, uh, consumer organisations have applied for observer status over the years um, a number of times. All of them have been rejected. Uh, the media are allowed in at sufferance, and most of the time they're thrown out after the first plenary. And Interpol has been banned from these these uh, these meetings because Interpol has uh, worked with industry on illicit tobacco trade, which you'd expect an international police force to do. But because of that, they have been, they have had their um, right to turn up and be an observer rescinded, so they're not allowed. Um, so yeah, and so you have to be one of the purest of the pure. It's like, it's almost religious, uh, a sect-like existence for people who are allowed to go along. You have to be absolutely squeaky clean. And Apart from, like I said, the plenary, I mean, at COP9, the plenary session at the start was broadcast so anyone could watch it. But 
but then after that it all went dark and you don't get to see what's actually being discussed in the conference itself you're not allowed to see and the 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 most uh the funniest, I think, example of this was at COP6 in Moscow in 2014, where they were so paranoid about any information getting out from the inside of their conference that somehow uh, someone had taken a, a picture of a slide on on some sort of presentation that someone was doing in Moscow, and it got out and it got onto social media. Uh, so they cut the Wi-Fi in the building to stop anyone being able to get anything out of that conference ever again. And there were reports that, that staff who were working at the conference centre and, and on the delegations were complaining they couldn't even speak to their friends because the Wi-Fi had been taken off. And it's, it's an absolute paranoia. And you have to wonder why on earth are they doing this? Why are they hiding what is going on in these meetings? What have they got to hide if they are doing everything the right way? Um, uh, we'd, I don't know. It's, it's it's just the most bizarre thing. There should be open conversations. We should be seeing what they were doing. They should be transparent, just like the climate change COP is. But this is the way the tobacco control COP has always been. Wow, it's that's scary, the level of authoritarianism there. Yeah, I I, I went to I went to COP seven in India, and I got one of the consumer places to go in and watch it. Um, and I was rather uninspired, to be honest. I didn't think it was particularly professionally well done. Um, it was, uh, uh, but but we got thrown out. The media got thrown out. There's one guy who refused to move. He had a media pass and was literally thrown out of the building. He was physically removed from the building. And he was saying that I'm the press. I have a press pass here. I should be allowed to see what's going on. And he was physically removed. There, there is a lot of defensive protection of their, their meetings and no one's allowed to see what's going on. Now, considering this isn't a small event, it's, it's, uh, there's probably some like 2,000 delegates turn up to this thing. And all of it is taxpayer funded. You know, it's funded from, from, uh, from uh, donations given by the parties themselves, the countries themselves. So it's taxpayers who pay for this. But if you turned up and said, I'd like to see these meetings to see how my taxpayer money is being spent, you're not allowed in. Or you can be allowed in. When I went to COP7, there were 30 of us who were given a pass as consumers. But we were all thrown out by lunchtime on the first day. All the, all the negotiations, all the declarations, all the decisions, they were all done behind closed doors and you didn't get any of it come out until after the event. Martin, back in 2016, when COP9 uh, was held, uh, we did a piece, our colleagues here in Canada, Rebel News, sent some reporters to uh, the event, and here's just a short clip of that coverage. Well, if if countries sign up to a, a set of policies or practices, and those become, or in principle, and those practices become defined in detail, then they should uh, be implemented to a similar degree across all countries. What it does is provide the, this, the kind of phrasing that's required for effective regulation or law uh, in different countries, so that saves duplication of a lot of work. And it also means that most countries in the world are moving together on the same initiatives. 
Uh, and in a way that makes it easier for, it makes it less likely that an individual country will then get hit by lawsuits from, say, the tobacco industry, because everybody's doing it. So it, it, it sort of strengthens the response to the tobacco epidemic. Professor Britton, you mentioned the tobacco industry. A controversy broke out this week at COP7 when the parties voted to close the sessions and ban the media from covering deliberations. Our colleagues from Canadian-based Rebel Media have been on the ground at the conference and documented journalists being physically removed from the proceedings. Here is Rebel Media reporter Faith Goldie cornering Rob Cunningham from the Canadian Cancer Society. It's not new. It's, it's been the decision in previous conference of the parties. So a lack of transparency, a lack of scrutiny uh, with respect to decisions that will affect millions of taxpayers, billions worldwide, but millions in Canada, um, and there will be no media to provide any sort of scrutiny to that process. And, and, and because of precedent, you're okay with that. The, uh, the rationale for it is the, this is a unique treaty, and there's a Article 5.3 in it uh, with respect to tobacco industry interference. Uh, you know, because of the, the role of the tobacco industry in undermining um, public health policies. So Professor Britton, is banning the press from the proceedings justified under the rationale of trying to keep the tobacco industry out? Yeah, there are activities and business of government that needs to be held and carried out in private. But something as important as an international treaty uh, with consequences for everybody on the planet should be open to scrutiny. So, in my view, the press should be present. Well, the ironic thing about that is that the one country that routinely opposes this restriction on transparency is the Canadian delegation. It's the only one that every, every, every time this happens, there is a resolution to remove the public and to remove the press. And the only party that stands up and says this is wrong is Canada. Which, which you should be very proud of, Brent, to be honest. Um, but yeah, John Britton is right, is, is that there should be scrutiny of these, these things. It, it affects um, 1.3 million people who are using harmful tobacco products. And, and that's out of a global population of what, seven or eight billion? We're talking about a huge amount of people and there should be open discussions on this, especially when it's paid for by our funds, taxpayer funds. Um, so what's going to happen this year, we don't know, but the, but COP9 was basically um, because it because of the, uh, the, the fallout from the pandemic, um, it was had to, had to be done virtually. And I think they quite rightly said, look, we can't have conversations virtually. We need to be in the room chatting to each other because that's the best way of doing business, if, if you like. So th they didn't make any decisions in COP9. They were all postponed until COP10, which is happening in November this year, they, they now effectively have like four years of evidence that they've gathered that they're going to discuss. Unfortunately for us, uh, it's, it's biased evidence. It's, it's stuff that is going to be, um, there's a number of threats that, that are going to come up. Um, do you want me to tell you what they are? Sure. <laughs> right, we, we have, just looking at reports that have come out of, um, out of, uh, um, documents that we've seen that have been sent to the FCT Secretariat. There, there is a threat on a, of a ban on open vaping systems. Um, they are hoping to restrict nicotine forms, so they don't like nicotine salts. They, they like to sort of do something about nicotine salts. 
they want to restrict the the nicotine delivery of devices and by that they, they call it the term nicotine flux they want to regulate on nicotine flux this would effectively limit everything from battery size to nicotine levels uh, nicotine forms you know nicotine salts um, and it would make all products effectively the same it, it would it would say that there is a maximum nicotine output allowed from vaping products and of course because they don't particularly like vaping it would most likely be a very low um, nicotine amount that you're allowed to get out of a vaping product but basically all, all products would be the same under there that's quite that's quite scary. They want to redefine combustion to say that heated tobacco products are the same as cigarettes. They want to redefine the idea of switching that saying if you switch to another product that is not a cessation product like nicotine patches or gum, you're not actually quitting smoking. So therefore you're still smoking. Uh, they've actually said they want to redefine what smoke is. So they want to say that there have been a couple of publications put out to say that actually vapor is from a for an e-cigarette is smoke uh, and they want to try and redefine and of course if they redefine vapor as smoke then they would put vaping in the same category as combustible cigarettes and they would be treated equally all over the world because of this in an international treaty and and the most uh, the most fundamental thing is that they are effectively trying to bring tobacco harm reduction products into the remit of the FCTC treaty. Now, considering in your intro, you, you said this, this was, was formulated in 2003 and, and first enacted in 2005, when these harm reduction products did not exist. And the, 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 um, the purpose of the original treaty was to reduce the harms from, and it says it specifically in the treaty, to the reduce the harms of uh, combustible tobacco smoke from smoke from cigarettes so it's really none of their business um, but they want to make it their business and they want to and to do that they have because the, the treaty is a rigidly worded document that, that can't be rewritten without consensus agreement from all the parties so what they will try and do is sort of buy the articles of the treaty to redefine all these things and then bring harm reduction products under their remit of the treaty and then effectively treat them exactly the same as combustible tobacco so that's all the threats we've got coming up at cop 10 and which is why the only way to get some sensible voices in this meeting is for consumers to write to elected representatives to write to delegates who might be at the meeting to say to them these are my interests i'm a taxpayer i help fund this you need to stand up and you need to represent my interests and all of other, other consumers' interests at this meeting and just say no to all these threats that are going to come up at COP10. And it's a very important one. Um, many people have called it the mother of all cops. It is, it's a big threat and we need to take it seriously. Are any nations that you know of or have heard scuttlebutt about, you know, could it be possible that some Western nations might stand up? on behalf of nicotine vaping products and tobacco harm reduction? We hope so. I mean, especially the UK, as, as someone from the UK, I would hope the UK delegation would stand up. Um, we've kind of nailed our colours to the mast on vaping in this country. It, we've got cross-party support for vaping. Um, it's included in our stop smoking cessation uh, campaigns every year. The NHS recommends vaping to the public. It would be a bit of a kick in the teeth for UK public health policy if they went over there and didn't say no when the WHO 
is trying to, or the, the FCTC Secretariat is trying to get these things banned or, or treated the same as cigarettes. You know, how, how do you then go back to the public and say, I'm really sorry, these people, in, you know, these unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats at the FCTC have told us we can't let you vape. So we hope so. And, and I think because of the extreme nature of what's being planned in the reports that we've seen for COP10, we hope common sense will, will, will sort of like um, prevail, but we just don't know that. And, and the real danger is that if some of these threats do get past the COP10 meeting, what will then happen is that it, it, because, like I said, it works on consensus. So the, the the parties all have to agree. There are no votes. They kind of agree something that everyone is happy with. So if you get to a point where you have decisions and declarations that everyone has has been seen to agree with, then if a country says, you know what, we're not going to do that, the Secretariat and the WHO will then just say to them, but you agreed to this. You, you were part of the consensus that agreed to this, so you have to do it. So although it's a, a, a treaty um, which has been signed by all these countries, they are free to ignore it, but the pressure that it would apply on them to not ignore it would be quite uh, intolerable, especially for politicians who really don't understand how these things work. So it, it's important for consumers to get involved and, and to just, and you have to do it fairly early, you have to do it from now, to get in touch with your your elected representatives and just say to them, this meeting is coming up in November, please stand up for my interests. Can you pass it on to whoever's on the delegation? They must go and say no to these threats. Well, it sounds like the communists are coming for our vapes. I think I think it's just, again, it's, it's people who have an ideological agenda and they have this meeting and they, they strictly control it. They try and keep anyone out who can uh, you know, give them a, a proper debate who has a, an opposing view. Um, so the only way we can get the right view in there is by, because like I said, it's the countries make the decisions. It's not the WHO, it's not the FCT secretary, it's the countries. We have to get the countries delegates to give the right messages because they're the boss, they're the ones in charge. So they have, we have to get them to make the right messages. And the only way to get to them is to write to politicians, write to elected representatives and say, they must go and represent our interests as taxpayers in this country. So that's why we are very powerful and we should we should use it. They're not, they're not untouchable. We are powerful enough to touch them, but we have to, as a group of consumers, we have to do it. 